Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the first book of Chronicles and contrary to what says on the box there, chapter 26 and not chapter 27. First Chronicles chapter 26. These chapters of Chronicles deal with the temple and they deal particularly with the organization of the temple and those who labored and worked there. So, First Chronicles and chapter 26. Chapter 25 deals with the singers in the temple. Chapter 26, then all the other people who worked in the temple other than those involved in the ministry of sacrifice. First Chronicles chapter 26. Concerning the divisions of the gatekeepers, of the Korahites, Meshelamiah, the son of Korah, of the sons of Asaph. And the sons of Meshelamiah were Zechariah the firstborn, Jediel the second, Zebediah the third, Jathmiel the fourth, Elam the fifth, Jehonahan the sixth, Elihoenai the seventh. Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom were Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sekar the fourth, Nethanel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Peluthai the eighth, for God blessed him. Also to Shemaiah his sons were, were sons born who governed their father's houses because they were men of great ability. The sons of Shemaiah were Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elizabeth, whose brothers Elihu and Semachiah were able men. All these were of the sons of Obed-Edom, and their sons and their brethren able men with strength for the work, sixty-two of Obed-Edom. And Meshelamiah had sons and brethren, eighteen able men. Also Hosa of the children of Merari had sons. Shimri the first, for though he was not the firstborn, his father made him the first. Hilkiah the second, Tebaliah the third, Zechariah the fourth, all the sons and brethren of Hosha were thirteen. Among these were the divisions of the gatekeepers, among the chief men, having duties just like their brethren to serve in the house of the Lord. And they cast lots for each gate, the small as well as the great, according to their father's house. The lot for the east gate fell to Shelemiah. Then they cast lots for his son Zechariah, a wise counsellor, and his lot came out for the north gate, to Obed-Edom the south gate, and to his sons the storehouse. To Shupim and Hosa, the lot came out for the west gate, with the Shalakath gate on the ascending highway, watchmen opposite watchmen. On the east were were six Levites, on the north four each day, on the south four each day, and for the storehouse two by two. As for the Parbar on the west, there were four on the highway and two at the Parbar. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the sons of Korah and among the sons of Merari. Of the Levites, Ahijah was over the treasuries of the house of God and over the treasuries of the dedicated things. The sons of Laden, the descendants of the Gershonites of Laden, heads of their father's houses. Of Laden the Gershonite, Jehi. Jehi Eli, the sons of Jehi Eli, one of those combinations of letters, it's not easy for English people to say. The sons of Jehi Eli, 
Zatham and Joel, his brother, were over the treasuries of the house of the Lord, of the Amramites, the Isotites, the Hebronites, and the Uzielites. Shebuel, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, was overseer of the treasuries. And his brethren by Eliezer were Rehabiah, his son, Jeshiah, his son, Joram, his son, Zichri, his son, and Shelomith, his son. This Shelomit and his brethren were over all the treasuries of the dedicated things, which King David and the heads of fathers' houses, the captains over thousands and hundreds, and the captains of the army had dedicated. Some of the spoils won in battles they dedicated to maintain the house of the Lord. And all that Samuel the seer, Saul the son of Kish, Abner the son of Ner, and Joab the son of Zeruiah had dedicated. Every dedicated thing was under the hand of Shelomit and his brethren. Of the Isarites, Chenaniah and his sons performed duties as officials and judges over Israel outside Jerusalem. Of the Hebronites, Hashabai and his brethren, 1,700 able men, had the oversight of Israel on the west side of the Jordan for all the business of the Lord and in the service of the king. Among the Hebronites, Jerijah was head of the Hebronites according to his genealogy of the fathers. In the fortieth year of the reign of David they were sought, and there were found among them capable men at Jazer of Gilead. And his brethren were two thousand seven hundred able men, heads of fathers' houses, whom King David made officials over the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, for every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. Our text this evening is found in the chapter that we read, First Chronicles chapter 26, and that last part of verse 32. For every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. For every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. Chronicles is a book that is written after the return from exile. It's a book that's often overlooked very much because people view it quite wrongly as simply a different version of of the books of the kings. But it's actually a book that's designed for the people of God settling back in the land, pointing them back to what was, so that they may go forward in the way that God has commanded. And for us also, we look back at them that we may go forward in the way that God has set before us. But of course the people who read Chronicles were re-establishing the structures of Israel, particularly the structures around the temple. All those structures have once and forever disappeared. They have gone, made obsolete by our Lord Jesus Christ and his once for all finished sacrifice. And so as we look at these things, they point us to these great and abiding principles that lay behind the temple, the great and abiding principles of the people of God. And one of those abiding principles is the principle of holiness, being set apart for the Lord's work. In ancient Israel there was one tribe set apart for the Lord's work, the Levites. But when it comes to God's people today, the church, the whole church is set apart as kings and priests unto our God, as the book of Revelation tells us. We see here in this chapter 
three particular types of Levites. We have the gatekeepers, first of all. We have the treasurers, secondly. And then we have the officials and judges outside the temple. Now, all of this is work that we may be tempted to think of as secular. It's not to do with the worship of God in terms of the ceremonies or sacrifices. It's not to do with making music to the Lord and leading the people in song. Rather, it's to do with security. That's what the gatekeepers are. They are security. It is to do with supply. That is the treasurer's. And it is to do with support, the other officials. It is work that people are tempted to think is secular, is less important perhaps than the work of those who were busy in the temple courts about the sacrifices and about the service of praise. But it is absolutely vital. And we see here, first of all, The gatekeepers, those who are concerned with security. Gatekeepers, what do they do? Well, the great thing gatekeepers did was to open the gates and close them again. They would open the gates in the morning and they would close them at sunset. And it's all to do with security. To do with making sure that people didn't go where they shouldn't. To make sure that the temple was not attacked by robbers and bandits. But also their duties didn't just involve opening and closing the gates. They're also there to make sure that only the right people go in. Because there was in the temple a whole series of barriers. The Gentiles were allowed into the outer courtyard only, the court of the Gentiles. Then all the Israelites, including the women, into the next court. Then only the Israelite men into the next. Then only the priests, and finally, of course, in the Holy of Holies, the high priest once a year. And they are charged, these gatekeepers, with making sure only the right people go where they are supposed to go. It's rather like if you've ever visited the Houses of Parliament in London, well in in Westminster in London, you will see once you've gone through security and of course security these days is very, very tight but once you've gone through security, and there's the, the main gate as it were, you've then got people standing around quite inconspicuous most of them and they are standing there and they are watching to make sure that members of the public who are visiting don't go into MPs only areas and they are again there for security and we have these gatekeepers mentioned some of them with their a bit of background around them we have for example Obed-Edom Now, if the name Obed-Edom rings a bell, it's because back in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, we read about him. We read a very interesting fact about Obed-Edom. This is the account of how the Ark of the Covenant was brought back from the land of the Philistines and was brought finally to Jerusalem. And we find 1 Chronicles 13 from verse 13. This is after the outbreak on Uzzah. Uzzah reaches out to touch the Ark of the Covenant and he's struck dead for his uh, impiety. 
And so David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Obed-Edom was a Gittite. A Gittite is someone from Gath. In other words, a Philistine. It may be that David initially thought that this Philistine, who obviously is a convert, he's a Philistine who worships the true God, thought, well, if something goes wrong with the ark, well, let it get a Philistine and not an Israelite. But instead, because Obed-Edom was a true convert, and because he truly worshipped the God of Israel, he was blessed. And it seems that this leads to him becoming an honorary Levite. And his family are then received into the ranks of the Levites. And so although the work of these gatekeepers was to keep the wrong people out, the inclusion of Obed-Edom says this, the right people are allowed in. That conversion, even then, conversion was a very real possibility. People who were born outside of Israel... If they believed in the true God, they were received into Israel. And in his case, he and his family then become some of the guardians of the temple. Because this is a matter of securing the sacredness of the people of God. That sacredness, that being set apart, and the sacredness of the temple. Now again, all of this in the Old Testament is types and shadows, it's pictures. The temple pictures the people of God, the church. And God is very particular concerning the the bounds of the church. That's why there is such a thing as church discipline for those who have defiled the sacredness of the church, those who have abused the people of God, those who have wantonly violated God's commandments. Because church discipline isn't simply a matter of somebody has been depressed or down. Being depressed or down has nothing to do with it. Elijah himself was depressed and said effectively, oh God, take my life. And God's response, of course, was that Elijah is one of the very, very few men in history who never died. I always think there's a certain irony in that a wonderful irony that God doesn't listen to that sort of prayer because God cares for us even when we are, as the hymn writer puts it, a wonderful line from that children's hymn, Jesus loves me, loves me still when I'm very weak and ill. Being weak and ill doesn't matter for the Lord's people. God's love is the same. No, it's people who defy God. People who say, Lord, you have said this and I will go the other way. People whose lives violate God's commandments again and again and again. Because when Christ establishes church discipline, he doesn't say, well, if someone is sinned against you, they're to be excommunicated. He says, go and talk to them. And if they won't listen, then bring one or two with you. And then if they won't listen, take it to the church. And then if they won't listen, they are to be as a tax collector and a sinner. And what do we want tax collectors and sinners to do? We want them to repent and believe the gospel. 
The point of church discipline is that people are told you're outside because we want them to recognise that they're outside and repent and believe. Because the end of church discipline is, or the, the aim of church discipline is repentance and restoration. When the, gospel, when the law is proclaimed to sinners, when sinners are told that they are under God's condemnation, the great aim is this, that they may be brought to repentance, to repent and believe the gospel. It's also why church discipline is a, a very serious thing. It's not something to be used lightly. It's not something to be used just because somebody has a bad day or two. It's to be used very carefully. And it's about the security of sacredness, of emphasising the church as the people of God is holy. So if the, if the church tolerates that which God condemns, then the church's witness is compromised, the church's sacredness is compromised. If the church says, and there's a great movement at the moment, what's called inclusive and affirming churches, you sometimes go and you might see a Methodist church or a, an Anglican or URC or a Baptist church, even a Baptist Union church, and you'll see a sign saying, we welcome everybody. There's a, although it used to be in Cardiff, in the central church, 10, 15 years ago, outside the big sign saying, we welcome everyone irrespective of, and then there's about this much text. And you look at it, you go, they've got to have missed somebody somewhere there, nevertheless. But the idea is they say, it doesn't matter if somebody is homosexual or not. It doesn't matter if somebody is living contrary to the word of God. We welcome and affirm them. Now, Christ welcomes sinners, but Christ never affirms sinners. Christ says to sinners, repent and believe the gospel. We don't look at people in judgment ourselves, but the word of God judges sin. And so these so-called affirming churches, there's something horribly wrong. And what's horribly wrong is there is no security of sacredness. There is no concern for holiness. And that holiness is not a holiness that is holier than thou. It's not a, a self-righteousness. It's a, a righteousness that comes from Christ. And so secondly, the self-righteous are not allowed in. There is no room for the Pharisee. The Pharisees are the ones who hated Christ. The Pharisees, those who trusted themselves that they were righteous and despised others, they were the ones that Christ spoke against most of all. They are the ones, he said, who they shut up the way to heaven and they will not let other and they will not go there themselves. They, they're not going there, they don't want anybody else to go there. Because they believe in themselves that they are righteous. And there is no place. In the church of God for the self-righteous. Only sinners are allowed into the church of God. Not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. Here is Obed-Edom. He's born in Gath. He's born worshipping idols in Gath. In the town of Goliath. The man who stands defying all the forces of God. And this Obed-Edom has come to faith. And now he is a full part of the people of God. 
doesn't matter what somebody was. It doesn't matter their background. What matters is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. And that faith produces a life. As the Apostle Paul says as he writes to the Ephesians. That wonderful, wonderful passage where he speaks of the, the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2. Reading from verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so it is that sinners saved by grace... Walk then in the good works that God has given. And there is this passion for holiness because God is holy. This passion to reflect the holiness of God. And therefore the church is to be a holy church. Because that is what Christ has made his church. And all of life is lived to God. This is another thing we see in this passage. That... The gatekeepers, the treasurers, the judges and officials, all of them are doing all to the glory of God. Again, the apostle writes to to slaves in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7. Speaking to slaves, he says, reading from verse 5, bondservants... Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Whatever we do, as long as you're something that is good, can be done unto the Lord. The gatekeepers, those who were largely behind the scenes, largely unnoticed, and yet they show us the importance of the security of God's holy people. Secondly, we see the supply, the, the treasurers, the people who were all about the money. Now, money is one of those things that we tend not to like to talk about. And certainly I say that from my own experience. Money is one of those things that almost there's this idea that it's, it's a bit, bit grubby to be involved with money. But the reality is that money is a necessity. The temple of God had to run on something. The priests had to be fed somehow. The cattle had to be bought. Somehow the repairs of the building had to be done somehow. And again, these are people who are working away behind the scenes. A hijer over the treasuries. The treasuries are dedicated things. And indeed the dedicated things, those which are taken from the enemies of God and are then brought into the house of God. There is nothing that is, in terms of things and objects, in this sense, that cannot be sanctified. 
The treasury, the treasures taken from the Philistines can be sanctified now. Indeed, the gold and silver idols must be melted down and made into ingots and things that are not idols. But having been melted down and transformed, they then become useful to the house of God. Even stone idols can be chopped up and used to repair holes in walls or wooden idols can be burned on the fire for heating. There's a, mar- a marvellous picture we have, of course, at the end of the Bible. All the treasures of the world are brought into the city of God. The dedicated things, the things that have been brought from the realm of evil to the realm of light, but ultimately the dedicated things are not things so much as they are people. The temple of God today is a temple built of living stones, of people, men and women and children, who are saved out of darkness into light. Again, Obed-Edom, that great example. Those who have been born in darkness then become dedicated to God. Lives of not dying sacrifices, but living sacrifices, lives lived to the glory of God. And that today is the great supply for the people of God. Because the, the local church depends very much upon the, the giving of its members. And a giving not by compulsion, not by compulsion the apostle says, but freely. There is no compulsion in the church of God. There are many false churches where there is compulsion. I'm reliably informed that the Mormons, for example, every Mormon has to, every year, have a meeting with the officials of the local fellowship where they meet, where they go through their accounts and the Mormon church says, this is what you have to pay the church this year. And if you don't, you are in trouble. This is not how the New Testament works. The New Testament, rather, God loves a cheerful giver. God leaves it up to his people to give that which they are moved to give. And there is no compulsion. There is no board saying, this you must do. I'm told of a fellowship in America where they had in the foyer a big board with the names of the people who were who the church felt weren't giving enough on it. Well, what a, a travesty of a New Testament church. The New Testament church, rather, the great supply is the Lord's people, and the Lord's people give as the Lord moves, as the Holy Spirit moves. God provides for his people. And God provides in many ways... And in his mercy and his grace, he gives and gives and gives again. Each of us is dependent ultimately, of course, upon the Lord's gift. And first of all, we are the supply to the church as individuals, as people, just being part of the Lord's church. And what we give is just a part of the fact that our whole selves, our beings, are God's great supply for his people. The other thing we see here in this supply is, again, that every type of work may be done unto the Lord. Guarding the gates. Looking after the finances. And thirdly, the support of the Lord's people. 
the officials and judges. Now in ancient Israel, God had one temple, one sanctuary, and that was in Jerusalem. And anything else was unsanctioned. There was only one place where the temple worship happened. It was in Jerusalem. But the Israelites lived in the whole nation. There were even some of them who lived the other side of the Jordan. And for them there is support. Officers and judges, officials and judges. Now again we remember that Israel was a theocracy in the true and strict sense of the term. That is that God was the ruler. And God was the one who then decided and determined the form of government. We do not live in a theocracy in terms of the nation, but the church, of course, is a theocracy. Christ is the head of the church. There is no earthly head. There is not even an earthly supreme governor. But there is the one head of the church who is Christ. And it is God who rules in the church. That means that the decisions that the church meeting makes must be based and founded on the word of God. That God is concerned for justice, we see here. Here in the nation of Israel, justice matters as it does in every nation. And God did not leave the justice simply in the hands of secular officials, but he has these Levites to minister justice. Again, there is this element within the church of God that matters that are internal, that do not relate to the law of the land, are to be dealt with as much as possible internally. Now it's very important to say that do not relate to the law of the land. There has been a great deal of scandal brought upon many churches by ignoring this point and treating people in the church committing crimes, predominantly sexual crimes, sexual predators in the church, have been treated simply as sinners who need church discipline, not as people who have committed a crime against the law of the land that needs to be prosecuted. Secondly, of course, if you have somebody who is put out of the church, then they are again to be dealt with according to the laws that they have broken. We are subject as Christians to the law of the land. That means that There's not to be any attempt to get around it. But for the sake of God, we are subject to the lesser magistrates, the civil magistrates. Because the powers that be, as Paul says in Romans 13, are ordained of God. Now indeed, when a civil magistrate passes an unjust law and One great example, the laws that were passed in the Nazi Empire, the conquered nations of Germany itself, against Jewish people, laws that required Jewish people 
to be betrayed and surrendered. They were wicked laws and to preserve the law of God, the law that says you shall do no murder, then those laws were to be set at naught. But where the law of God and the law of the state do not conflict, we must, we must, for the sake of God, obey the law of the land. We can't say, oh, just because I think that a a law is inconvenient, we shall ignore it. We cannot say, as unfortunately so many, even in evangelical churches, have said. They've said, well, Mr. So-and-so, the choir master, has been found to be abusing children, and we will call him to repentance and Mr. So-and-so says, oh yes, I'm awfully sorry for what I did. And the church says, then that's the end of the matter. And then, of course, Mr. So-and-so goes on doing what he has been doing. And all these things come to light and such disgrace is brought upon the church of God. No, the internal and the external. The two kingdoms are both under God's command. And the law of the land is to be honoured, even as we, we in the church say that the law of God is greater. But he gave justice within the land, but also the Levites, the officials and judges, are there all over Israel. There is access to justice for all the people of God. All the people of God matter. One of the great problems that some ancient states had was that everything was centralised. And you imagine, of course, the ancient world where transport is not as easy as it is today. And if you lived near the capital, you could appeal to the king very easily. If you lived on the borders, you might have trouble getting anything to the king. But with judges and officials scattered through Israel, there's access For all the Lord's people. There is support for all the Lord's people. Again we have a principle here that God supplies support to his people. Within the local church. Through the local church. And God cares. Because ultimately the supply he gives is a supply that is in Christ. That we can petition Christ the King every day. And we do when we pray. We can petition God directly. And we support one another in our prayers. Coming to God for one another. And here are those again who are doing this business work. This civil service work. And they too are serving the Lord. By supporting his people. In these quiet ways most of the time. Not openly, not publicly. Not something again that's. Public in the service of the church. But where would the church of God be. Without those who do their quiet things. Those who pray quietly. For the church members. Those who watch out for one another. Those who. Do the church cleaning. Those who. Deal with the church finances. All of these little works. Works for God and works that glorify God. That all that we do as God's people is to his glory. 
for the matters pertaining to God and the affairs of the King. And the Lord has given each of us works to do for him. Works in daily life, in our daily callings. Works within the church. Little things sometimes, words of encouragement, words of help. And in all things, we serve one another and our neighbours and glorify God. For all these are matters pertaining to God and the affairs of the King. Amen.